Welcome back to Expediting Change. I appreciate you checking back in with us. Today, I have a very, very special guest, a gentleman that I've known for a very long time that has a plethora, a myriad, a lot, a whole bunch of knowledge to bring to the BIPOC, to bring to the culture. This conversation is going to be expansive. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about black wealth. We're going to talk about black home ownership. We're going to dig right into it. And remember, expediting change is not just us getting up here, having a conversation with each other, buddy, buddy, giving you some information and then we go back and have drinks and have fun. No, expediting change is about giving you knowledge, inclusive of step-by-step how, one, two, three, to get into it, to deep dive. So we expedite change for you. So I appreciate you continuing to tune in with Shamari. Let's go. Open my mind and try to reach yours. Ask myself, why is this you really want to preach, boy? So today I have my guy here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, Antoine Thompson. Uh, my pleasure to meet you all. Uh, involved in a number of good things. Uh, one is uh, Greater Washington Region Clean Cities. Also a partner in uh, Creative PMO and also a uh, real estate uh, real estate investor, uh, agent, and uh, real estate strategist too. I hope a lot of folks in real estate. Let's um, let's pay homage though. Let's let's give you some some context to your history. You know, what I mean, we met we met way back in the town. So let's pay homage to our history together, to your history, some of the things you've done in the past. Yeah, well, first I went to Benton High School. Go ahead, Ben uh, High. Uh, went from Buffalo, grew up east side of Buffalo. So actually was started real early in the game. Uh, was all high, all West New York and track and cross country. Tiger to our die. Uh, <laughs> also, we used to deliver newspapers, we used to wash toilets. Uh, delivered newspapers, uh, delivered pizzas. Uh, then I had a lot of other good jobs as well. So I was on the city. I was a staffer for the city council in Buffalo. I was a um, city council member in Buffalo as well, and I was a New York State senator as well. And and then I've run a number of organizations from uh, economic development organizations and National Black Real Estate Group, National Association of Real Estate Brokers. And then I was a job czar of workforce development in Buffalo. And now I, I lead a, a regional organization tied into a national group dealing with uh, renewable and clean energy and also uh, environmental justice as, as well. So, mm. so I've been involved with a number of different things, but housing, real estate, and minority business are my... Um, and uh, environmental justice are my really three things I, I really get all excited about. So make a change, no doubt. So that excitement. Tell me how your past and and how you came up. How did it come to play or come to form and make an impact for what your passion is right now? Yeah. So so for me, it, it's always been about. Uh, trying to make things happen. So I didn't, I always tell people, I didn't get my first pair of Nike sneakers so I was 12. <laughs> no, no, no doubt. And, uh, Wait, so Nike was the measurement of you got some paper, you doing it, you good? No, my aunt. So how I got my first pair of name brand shoes was my aunt bought them for me yeah. when I was 12. So we used to wear a lot of buddies, a lot of <laughs> no-name stuff. And, um, and so at that point, I said, you know, I would get a little. My my brother had a paper route, and um, you know we had you know we had a lot of ups and downs. So, yep. you know, we had I got free lunch my whole life. Um, we had um, 
We'll go to the park and get little lunches at the neighborhood park. No doubt. Um, Summer program. I work for that program, so I can get free lunch, too. Yeah. So so when I was a kid, I just, you know, when I turned 12 and uh, my mom got Section 8, my brother would go down there and because my mom was working and uh, to keep the lights on to go down to social services and all yeah. that when we were in high school. And I just said, man, I don't ever want to be in that situation. No doubt. And so, you know, my father wasn't around. And so um, I, that just really drove me. It helped shape And you. so it, it did. And so, you know, working, uh, sports became the outlet. And then, um, you know, when I was at Bennett, we didn't have a lot of supports. And so, you know, I just said that I would, you know, try to go to college and I had this one counselor uh, who was just always like trying to make sure you apply and all that other stuff. And then I just broke through and mm. went to school. And when I got to college, um, you know, it was weird because I went to school with four guys. Uh, we were all on a track team together. Yeah. And uh, Aaron Jackson, Steve Roberts, Majid Akeem. And then um, we all went to high school together. We all went to Brockport together. And yeah. We all graduated together. Nice. That's a powerful story. And it's a support system. Yeah, yeah. And we all had different challenges during college. We all, yeah. we all, we all made it through, and learned a lot from from all of them. And it just made me. When I got in school, you know, I really got involved. I was still doing those sports, but it wasn't the same as in Bennett. So I got really and the student leadership yeah. and wanting to make change. And yep. so from that point on, man, I, you know, I joined the fraternity, Alpha, Alpha fraternity. Um, I was president of the Black Student Union. Nice. So I was just raising hell on campus about <laughs> things. As you, know. you should. Uh, became a Pan-Africanist, so I was nice. doing, you know, uh, fighting for Somalia, fighting against apartheid. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of racial incidents on campus. Yep. So I was very involved in that. Yep. And then... Um, you know, and I worked on some political campaigns, but, you know, so <clears throat> Bill Clinton ran, Jesse Jackson ran, and then, I, you know, and then I ran, and then, you know, I learned, I always say I learned my best experience on politics actually was in college. No doubt. And no everything doubt. I learned was really there. I studied Shirley Chisholm when I was in college. I wrote, yep. I wrote my undergraduate paper on on her and her life and, and how she rose in politics. No doubt. So by the time I got out of school, and I went back to Buffalo. I just really just wanted to make change. No doubt. No. I lived briefly in Atlanta, and I went to the Million Man March in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, I had just moved there. I only been in Atlanta. I moved there in August. Went to Million Man March in October. Yeah. And then and then I got this, you know, I just wind up coming back to Buffalo because I hadn't lived there since yeah. I was um, I was only 25. Yeah. And so. Um, I wind up coming back, and then I just said, you know, I was on a mission to make the difference. Yeah, no doubt. And um, and so I just came back to Buffalo on fire, ready to, ready, ready to make go. some things happen. Ready to that's shoot. That's what I did. Yeah, and that's what I did. So if you're listening to this, one thing that I heard, and you're a college student, what what Antoine just said was he took the opportunity. I'll paraphrase: took the opportunity to learn, grow, and make mistakes while he was in college. 
that actually helped when he got out of college. He said um, just now, stop me if I'm wrong, but I learned more about politics while I was in college than when I actually got into politics. So mm -hmm. for those of you watching my podcast or during college, take that opportunity. College is a learning, right? It's a microcosm of the real world. That's when you can make some mistakes. It's, it's okay. But once you come out of there, you actually take those learnings and now it's time to make sure that you're failing forward. So I think I want to start with the politics. Um, starting with the politics, we're in we're in the DC area. We're in the DMV. Mm -hmm. um, and I was at the White House last week. Everything politics all the time here. It's, yeah, it's, it it's funny being here. Oftentimes people will say to you, hey, Instead of who are you is where do you work? <laughs> That's true. You know what I'm sure. saying? It's nice to meet you. Where do you work? Um, so talk about politics from a BIPOC, from a black, from the culture's perspective, being in the DMV. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, African-Americans in, in, in the D.C. area are in a very unique position. Um, it, it's weird because, you know, coming out of New York, um, which is the next epicenter of politics. Uh, politics in America on the Democratic side are really driven by uh, New York, California, uh, Illinois, Atlanta to a lesser degree, and in the D.C. area because so much happens on Capitol Hill. Yeah. But in the, in the DMV, it's, it's interesting because if you're in politics in the DMV, it's a lot different than other places, mm. right? You have access to the Capitol. Yep. A lot of staffers work in the Capitol. A lot of uh, black people work in federal agencies yep. so they can influence there. And um, and then, you know, the, you know, D.C., Prince George's County, um, Montgomery County to some degree, um, you know, uh, Northern Virginia to a little degree. Uh, African-Americans are very engaged and very, uh, very relevant in the process. No doubt. Uh, and, and from the political standpoint, African-Americans are used to not only contributing, being very involved, and have the, really the ability to make some, some, some things happen. Yep. And so, you know, I love, uh, I love that fact uh, of, about the, D the DMV. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's not really true in a lot of places, although African-Americans might be an attorney general, a lieutenant governor, they might be a mayor in certain areas. Their ability to really have the type of systemic and substantive change that yeah. you see in this area is just not really prevalent in a lot of places. So when you look at, you know, you know, Supreme Court, state Supreme Court judges, or yeah. you look at county court judges, the mm -hmm. sheriffs, mm -hmm. you know, blacks building hotels, mm -hmm. uh, blacks owning banks, mm -hmm. uh, blacks being real estate developers, uh, blacks working on construction jobs. Yeah. You know, a lot of that you just take for granted yeah. when you live in the DMV. No, no, you no. Know, going yep. to restaurants, you know, where you go to Morton's in downtown DC. It's all black and, and it's all black people yep. in there dropping two hundred dollars a night. Yeah. You know, and it's like eighty percent black. Yeah. I mean, and so that's the political economy. So speak speak so that's to that. the political that's the political yeah. economy where you can affect and people don't even really question it, whether they're yep. black, white, or otherwise, because yep. that has become the social norm. Absolutely. Right? And, 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 and a bubble. And, Would you and, say that's it, a bubble? It, it is. It is It is a bubble. It is a beltway bubble. And and um, and so 
you know, the ability, and, and it doesn't mean that there still aren't challenges. Yeah. You know, because even with that, um, you know, from the housing and some other things and lending, while African-Americans have made progress, there's still some limitations, yeah. right? You know, African-Americans still, when you talk about politics in this region, we still don't contribute enough. Yeah. We still are dependent on white developers to help bankroll black campaigns, yeah. even in black markets. Yeah. That's not to say black people don't give, but you still have most of your uh, PACs, political action committees that have money yep. in the region are still, the bigger ones are still largely white funded. Yep. Um, and so, you know, who, who the person that funds the campaign controls what happens when a person's elected. That's right. So we still got, even in this market, you still have a ways to go. Which is crazy, right? So what I want to hear you speak to is you mentioned Beltway, Prince George's County. So Prince George's County, period, statistically, Proven. It's out there. Google it. Encyclopedia. Yeah. Whatever you want to do is the number one affluent place in America for black people. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that, you, you just said that the contributions from the culture aren't up enough. Talk to me about that. That that just doesn't sit right, nor does it seem to make. Yeah, sense. I mean, and I don't want to say that black people don't give. No doubt. No doubt. You know, but the fact of the matter is when you look at even some of the unions, who controls the unions. There may be some blacks as business agents, et cetera. They might be on some of the packs and stuff like that. But it's still, you know, too much, still not going to effort that. That currency that fuels politics, two things fuel politics is votes and money. Mm. Those are two things that fuel politics, no doubt. votes and money. No doubt. Who's controlling each and, and money, unfortunately, influences the politics. No doubt. So when, you know, African-Americans do, I think, give at a higher rate. But then still, when you start looking at who's dropping the $5,000 checks, the $10,000 yeah. checks, who's bankrolling some of the independent expenditures, these are separate committees that run, you know, who's putting a million dollars in the yep. committee and all that. Those are still largely white folks. No doubt. And, and so um, we have to um, continue to influence that process. And that's what, you know, fortunately here, because there are a lot of black millionaires, there are a lot of African-Americans that are making over a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar households. Um, you're able to get Five more five hundreds to thousand dollar, two thousand dollar donors. Whereas in places like Buffalo or Detroit, you know, or you know, say, you know, maybe Rochester or St. Louis or yeah. Minneapolis, you know, get a fifty dollar, a hundred fifty dollar donation yeah. on an yeah. average from a black person. Yeah, that limits your ability to control. You know when when decisions got to get made, yep. right? And so, you know, sometimes people say, why did this happen? Why did that strange thing happen? Yep. Right? Fortunately, um, fortunately in this area, because you have, um, you know, you've had people like Marion Barry, who was the mayor here, yeah. Yeah. you know, he held stuff up. Yeah. He made sure that you created a class yep. of people that were successful. Yep. 
And, um, and even in Prince George's County, you still have some limitations. There's been some successes of some blacks making some moves, but still not enough. I mean, you know, the numbers is what matter. Yep. So when you look at report cards on how many blacks get contracts yep. um, from the government, how many blacks get their projects funded, it's better here, but it's not where it needs to be given our demographics. And so... I would say to you all, we got to continue to affect change. Yep. And um, so, give and me the how. How? What? So, if, I, if I'm listening to this podcast, what should I do today or tomorrow? What should I write down and so, do? So, so a couple of things I would say, and that's a great point. So, number one is you got to hold. You got to be in the game. It's either either you are involved in politics. Either you do politics, politics don't do you. Okay. Right? Either I mean, you do politics or politics are I mean, going to do it's going to happen. Your license, your life, everything is impacted by politics. No doubt. So you need to have at least one or two elected officials that you got a relationship with. Yeah. That, you know, something going down in your neighborhood, your community, or something happened on TV, you can call up on the phone and say, what the hell was that about? No doubt. You know? No doubt. So in part of that, you got to have not just a voting relationship, but a financial relationship. No doubt. I don't care if you just say, you know... Um, you know, every year I'm giving so-and-so $250. Yep. So I register on their report, you know, that they know that, that, you're there. that I'm there. That you're there. You know, because yep. they staff look and say, oh, you know, Antoine Thompson gave you $250 a year over 10 years. That's $2,500. <laughs> no doubt. Right? No doubt. That sounds different, right? No doubt. You say, I gave you over 10 years, this man, they do a paper. One of his most consistent dip donors is Antoine Thompson. He gave $2,500 over 10 years. Yep. Or if that's $1,000, he gave $10,000 when they right. were on the story. That's right. That's a different conversation. That's right. Right? That's right. He gave $25 you know, dollars over the last 10 years. Right. right? Or, or one time. Or one time. Or one time. So you want to have, you want to be on the paper. You want to be reported. So when you call that office, your, your phone conversation is different. Yep. You know, I'm a voter, I'm a homeowner, yep. and I donate. No right? doubt. That's a different conversation. Yep. The other thing I would say is, you know, find the issues that you care about and and, and, and be involved in making things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, things in America happen because someone is pushing it. Yeah. So if, you, if you're concerned about police violence, which... People often are. I know. I, I, I am. I'm always about it. Yeah. I don't complain loudly unless I'm doing something. About no doubt. It. Right. No so doubt. I'm not. If I'm not going down to the hearing, or I'm not, you know, uh, sending an email or tweeting to the to the mayor or the county executive or the council member or member of Congress about crime, then I'm part of the problem. Absolutely. So I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. But the issues like I'm concerned about. Home ownership. Yeah. So you will see me on Twitter. You will see me on Instagram. You will see me on in a newspaper, on magazines, on blogs, uh, tweeting, talking, emailing about trying to get black people mortgages, trying to get black people this, that, anything in the real estate space. Yep. And so your mouth and action have to align. No doubt. Right? So you can't just be on the side. And that side conversation, the barbershop beauty line is important. No doubt. But it's gotta it's gotta go beyond that. It's not enough. That's not enough. It's not enough. So I, I would say that. The other thing I would say is um, you know, develop your little network. Yeah. Right? Because it doesn't matter, even if you have like this podcast, say you have a, um your own blog, yep. um, invite different 
policymakers or elected officials or other influential people on to, hey, you know what? This is going my my show was straight from the streets. Yeah, no you know, doubt. and and I want to interview you. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about this. You know, if you do it, you ask them enough and you follow up, they will come. No doubt. So you actually have a lot more power no doubt. than you than you 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 realize. So those would be two things I would strongly suggest. Uh one is make sure you contribute, that you vote, that you um donate, you identify two, you say, you know what? These two people directly affect my life. Because I want you to remember this. The people that affect your life the most are the elected officials that are closest to you. That's right. Right? So so say such as county legislators. Yeah. Say such so, as. So, so such as a council person, yep. right? You, you know, they're in City Hall. You're going to get to City Hall faster than you're going to get to the White House. That's right. Even if you live in the DMV. That's you're right. You're going to get to Prince George's County or you're going to get to D.C., you're going to get to, you know, to uh, to the city hall in D.C. faster. You're going to get to the White House because you can't even get in the White House. Right. You know, you got to yep. go through A, B, and C. So your ability to affect change yep. is different. Then you know you start looking at your state, you know, your county, state, and federal people uh, as well. They all play a role, but the ones who are closest to you have the most impact. That's, That's right. your trash getting picked up. Yep. That's the street lights being fixed. Yep. That's the sidewalk being done. Yep. That's the vacant house that's on your street. Yep. That's making sure that even even with the, you know, when we're talking about mortgages and lenders, they actually, your government puts money in banks. Yep. The same way your county and state does. So they all can have an impact on on, on that. And you can impact them because you can touch them. No doubt. You, and you can touch them easily. That's like that. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> uh, no doubt. It actually sounded good. It was it was a good backdrop. It sounded good. Rain made me go to sleep. <laughs> they said it was raining. We need some rain. <laughs> I was looking at one of my neighbor's fences today, and it's like it had pollen all over it. That white fence. How's that going by itself, you said, you said that the obvious not like that. Huh? No, it will not sound good. Yeah. Sound like static in the mic? Yep. Especially when I uh, EQ, it'll bring. That type of noise stands out more when you start cleaning up. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. We'll pick, right, pick up right from there. You guys can pick it right back up. Okay. So I think you make a, a really good point with those that you can touch. Uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent when I say people misunderstand when I say marching in the streets is one thing. It's not that I disagree with it, but I push back on, well, what else are you doing? Right. So if we come back and I'm not saying because it should be a multi-pronged strategy. Right. So we marching in the streets. That's cool. But I really like you saying touch those local folks. <laughs> touch those local folks. Now, my question though is, when's the best time? Because I would assume the best time to touch those local folks is when they're running. No, actually it's, it's constant. Okay. Right? It's constant. constant. So let me just talk about activism. Okay. Act, so there's activism and there's advocacy. Okay. And they're not one and the same. No doubt. So, uh, but they both are important. Uh, and so you need feet in the street so the people that's in the seats listen. Yep. Right? Because if you just go into the meeting, you just 
sending the emails and all that. And and you calling it, you know, doing the technocrat stuff. You you know, you writing the letters, you helping negotiate legislation. All that's important. Yeah. All that's important. But you still got to have a rally. You still got to have a petition. Yep. You still got to be in a newspaper saying, you know, a council member or a congressional member or the mayor or the governor or the president, they need to do this. They all, they all those things are part of affecting change. Absolutely. So it's not an either or. And it's just as important as you got to be the one writing the checks so that your candidate gets in, your candidate stays in, and then your candidate is responsive to you yep. as well. That same is true as the person who is the one that, you know, is um, helping to run that campaign, the person that's running the person against the person that you that's in there so that they do right, yep. right? So all that works together to make the change yep. that you want. And, and so you, that's why you got to be involved. So I just so the, the other thing I was going to say uh, to your point is, yes, you need the people that can affect when they are in office. So, you know, a lot of times what happens to African-Americans, you know, we 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 um, we do our part. Mm -hmm. We go vote. Yeah. And then we do what you just said. Yeah. I catch them in three years. Yeah. Shit, a lot happens in three years. No doubt. Right? No doubt. And and, and so they vote in, in four years. They vote on four budgets. Yeah. Right? Uh, if you talk about crime, save your community, 100 people die, get murdered a year. That's 400 people that are murdered no doubt. in four years. Right? right? Uh, if, if um, you know, say 500 people lose their house a year, you know, four years, that's that's what? Two thousand people be you know and lost their lost yeah. their homes. So actively engaged. Yeah, so you have time. to be actively engaged because it what what happens in politics is say you 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 council member uh James, right? Never. Right? But <laughs> saying, never hypothetically Ever. you council member James. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I may not have supported you, right? But the people that want government to work, they don't support people half the time. But once you in there, they gotta do business with you, with you anyway. No doubt. Because you gotta you you know, there may be nine people on the Prince George's County Council or nine people on the Buffalo yeah. Common Council, yeah. right? And you gotta vote. Yeah. So you may chair the legislation committee, you may chair the, you may sit on the finance committee, whatever, and they need five votes to win and they're whether or not they support you or not. You wanted the five votes because the guy you supported may not support you on that issue. No doubt. Right? And so they gotta do business with you anyway. Playing politics. And so playing and politics. So, so so it's important for you to always be involved and always watching. Like I get, you know, I live in Prince George's County. Mm -hmm. So I get the emails every week, multiple times a week. I'm on a list, sir. Yeah. Most of the time you can just sign up. And just read. You ain't got to be on every meeting. Right. You ain't got to be on every meeting. But you know what? Know what's going on. You can subscribe and get their updates and stuff yep. like that. Yeah. And what you will find is that there's a lot of shit happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff happening. Yeah. And, and you want to... You don't want to just be reading about it. Absolutely. So every now and again, you want to step up and say, hey, man, you shouldn't vote for that. No doubt. And that way, so they know that there's a concerned person Absolutely. that cares that cares about those issues. So I, I always say that don't just don't just check in every four years. No doubt. Know? Especially like if I donate to you, I don't care if I give you $100 or more. You're coming back. 
I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to <laughs> I'm you. I'm pulling up. You know, pulling up. I, I, you know, and I don't, and I donate. I, you know, I'm not rich, but I, you know, I donate to a lot of folks. There's a yeah. lot of folks that helped me over the years. Yeah. And so I believe in the process. Yeah. I respect the process. You know, Joe Biden ran. I, I raised about twenty thousand dollars for him. I donated personally. I think around five thousand to yeah. his campaign. So. You know, I um I believe in the process. No doubt. You know, and um and I stay on them. You no know, I'm, I was in the White House at a meeting last week. No doubt. And um and got some former staff members of mine that worked there and I went, you know, encouraged them and stuff like that. Yep. But you gotta be in the game. No doubt. I, I wanna I wanna go back because I think you made a very good point. And I think not I think, I know you explained it, but I just wanna make it hundred percent lucid for folks listening. Yeah which I thought was great. You said there's a difference between activism and advocacy. So let's do this. Tell me an example of what activism is and then tell me an example of what advocacy is. Yeah, they, they both are really important. So a lot of times you think of like Reverend Sharpton is, is an activist, right? You yeah. think of my uh, 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 good friend, uh, Tamika Mallory, you know, a doing activism when there's police brutality, right? Yep. Right. But uh, and they're in the street. They're organizing parents. Yep. They're organizing uh, people who uh, who's uh, been affected by uh, police brutality, uh, etc. Right. But then they had, so they're getting people organized. They're highlighting the issue. They're bringing attention to something that is it affecting and affecting people, right? Absolutely. Right? So then you, you got to have somebody that's what we call bringing the fire, right? right? Yep. Right? But then you got to have that advocacy that impacts public policy. Absolutely. Right? Right? Because the advocacy, what I say, um, brings the attention and then the advocacy brings the action Absolutely. that leads to change in legislation Absolutely. or the courts, Absolutely. right? So if you don't have advocacy, activism in the street, yep. the judges do what the hell they want to do, Absolutely. right? Right? Yep. Right? Yep. Right? And But when you have the advocacy, then you're able to infect the laws, yep. right? So then they say, hey, you know what? You got to have... Uh, you got to have 10 years, you got to have practiced law five years to be a judge yep. in these big cities, but in these small towns, you don't even got to be a lawyer. Did right. you know that? Yeah. You don't even got to be a lawyer. Yeah. In these small towns yep. where black people get arrested, yep. you know, they, you ain't got to be a lawyer. Yep. Right? So the other thing is the advocacy deals with, okay, how are we going to fund the police? How how are we going to set uh, the, the criteria for a district attorney? Yep. Um, the advocacy deals with how much money is going to go for affordable housing. The advocacy goes to how much is going to go for uh, minority businesses. The advocacy says, all right, uh, street lights, school graduation rates, uh, how the budget's going to get allocated. Uh, where community center is going to go, how much funding is going to go for that advocacy then becomes the driver of that issue. Absolutely. So the activism is saying, hey, we don't have any community centers in our area. That's right. Right. Our kids getting shot. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, our kids are on the street corners. Right. We need to rally. We need to agitate. We need to 
bring some attention to it. Then you got to have some people going to say, listen, we got five black people down here on the city council in D.C. We got three. We got a council president in Buffalo. Uh, we got a black mayor in Buffalo. Yet the poverty rate is, you know, it's almost 40 no percent. Almost doubt. four out of 10 people live in poverty. No doubt. What y'all doing about it? No doubt. Right. No doubt. So someone's got to then say we got to come up with some issue agenda. So the advocacy folks, the activism says this is the issues we care about. Yep. Then the advocacy side is how are we going to affect public policy yep. to make some change? Yep. How are we going to get the corporations to check in? Right. Absolutely. So the act, the activists go protest or outside those corporations, right? Yep. Right. Then the corp then the the advocates then say, "All right, we need to not own. We need to go to these corporate board of directors and say they need to be putting more money in the black neighborhood for A, B, C, D, and E." Absolutely. So both of them work hand in hand. Are, are work hand in hand. It's the same thing. What happened um, with Dr. King? Mm. The same thing happens. For Reverend Sharpton, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes Reverend Sharpton is at the White House, and sometimes he's on 125th Street in Harlem. No doubt. Raising cane. No doubt. You know, sometimes he's in with the families outside trying to bring attention to it, and then sometimes he's going to do the advocacy part where he's got to go testify on Capitol Hill and yep. say, yeah, I need to do something on you know, police brutality on voting rights. Yep. So they both go hand in hand. And rest assured, if it was just doing advocacy way, not what happened to America. No doubt. No doubt. And, and I'm a... Because um, think about it. Think about it. Yeah. If it was not for George Floyd being murdered and the riots that happened, mm. the little bit of change that did happen would not have happened. Possibly not. I mean, you had a whole Juneteenth holiday that was created, you know... Because George Floyd, I mean, that's true. Yeah. George Floyd, there would never be a national Juneteenth holiday if it was not activism in the streets. Because there was no advocacy for Juneteenth. There had been advocacy for Juneteenth to be a national holiday for like 50 years. No doubt. Right? No People doubt. had been going to the White House, yep. going on Capitol Hill, trying to make it a law. It's going to take it forever. 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 But because of the activism in the streets. Yeah. That joint became, people like, well, we didn't even ask for this. Well, people have been asking for <laughs> right. that. It's just that it was so far now yep. on the thing. It's like D.C. statehood. Yep. It's just like um, reparations. Yep. So it was that red hot activism in the street. White people said, we got to do something. Yep. That's how, that, that's how um, the fair housing law got passed, because Dr. King got assassinated. Mm. America was on fire, mm -hmm. and they did something. Same thing when Rodney King died. Mm -hmm. You know, when, not, he didn't die, but Rodney King got beat up in the 1990s. It was 91 or 93, one or two. And, uh, and he, I think it was 91. He got uh, beat really bad. It was a black guy, for some of you young folks who don't know. He was in L.A., it was a high-profile case. They had a camcorder. Yeah, I probably don't remember camcorder. <laughs> it was a video camera. VHS. And they had a video camera, and they, they caught the police, L.A. police beating the man up. And, and uh, the riots. Riots happened. And some nuts. things happened. So that's why I always say the activism and the advocacy go hand in hand. I, I, I love it. So what I'm going to do is you done signed away all your rights by doing my <laughs> podcast. I'm going to replay that over and over and over yeah. because... Um, when I'm having my debates with individuals and folks get 
um, we'll say in heightened discussions, yeah. that's a very lucid way to explain it because yeah. I think that there is opportunity for improvement drawing that complete circle or it the is. yin and the yang from, yeah. yes, we got the activism, we're going to pop off. Yeah. But are we doing what we That's need to do from the advocacy That's side the problem. before George Floyd gets That's murdered? That's the problem. The because, and I want to break this down. And I love to come back because this you actually raise a good point. We do a lot of activism. Yeah. But we are weak on the advocacy part. Yeah. So if you go to Capitol Hill, there are very few black people working there. But very few are in those offices on a daily basis. No doubt. You go to your state capitals where the real policies impact in America because yeah. we are a state-driven society. Yeah. Yeah, I think about Washington, but the fact is most the way our government is set, most powers rest in governors. Yeah. Uh, and then they rest in the county executive and the mayors. Yeah. But more is in governors' hands. And so very few black folks. I mean, I was a state legislator, open 40 hours a week or more. Very few black organizations came in my office. And yeah. that only gets worse as you go to the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going to see an elected official once a year is ineffective. Yep. There's 52 weeks in a year. Uh, there's 168 hours in a week. Uh, and their offices are open anywhere from 40 to 60 hours during the day. And so if you're not in their offices, talking to them, organizing with them, bringing them suggestions, not just bringing them a problem, yep. but bringing them a solution. Absolutely. All right. Because they get problems all day, Absolutely. every day. They get them emailed to them. Absolutely. They, their other uh, lobbyists and other advocacy groups are bringing them there. So that's our one of our two biggest deficiencies. We don't donate enough mm. and we don't advocate enough. Mm -hmm. We are speaking up at meetings when we are, when we do go, but I would say we've got to do a lot more of that. And I don't think as a community, we invest enough in advocacy. And I've seen it. I ran a national black organization and I can tell you firsthand, it was it when I came in and since I left, it's been very, it's been very, very mild. Mm -hmm. And, and um, because the advocacy, you know, the, the, the activism may be, you know, a one day event. Right. And and you get a little news story, but that, the elected officials going back to the office. Absolutely. Right. This is the government's going to keep working. Absolutely. Right. The court's going to stay open. Yeah. Police going to keep ar arresting people. Yeah. So in order to change that the system. Yeah. I mean, think about all these kids that have been murdered in, uh, at schools, supermarkets, et cetera. And we still haven't changed gun rights, right? Yep. So so all these other things that either directly or indir indirectly impact black people, they you you gotta constantly be in the face of people. I agree. You gotta constantly be in the face of people. Agree. And and and, and how you do that, we do need we need to invest more on the activism is important, but that advocacy part is so important. So how do it's we fifty five forty five. So how do we advocate for what we clearly see, no matter where you go in this country to a downtown and see gentrification taking place, whether you are in what used to be Chocolate City. Mm -hmm. I was in Baltimore, downtown Baltimore. They're calling it the Northern Harbor now. Whether I'm in Buffalo, you're looking at the Skyway. 
and gentrification is taking over around this country. How, how and what does it look like from an advocacy perspective for us to either push against the narrative, push against the grain, get involved? Because I don't fundamentally believe that gentrification itself is completely tied to systematic racism and oppression. Because I see where there are some states, where there are some cities, where the downtown areas, you got a lot of black people, but it's black people that have high net value, that have high dollars. So what yeah. does advocacy look like as this gentrification and this landscape is changing in housing and development very drastically across this country? So you, so let me just say this. I think you need both. You need in, in this in that space, you need activism and you need advocacy. And okay. I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. The activism makes it uncomfortable for the blacks to have positions that cut deals and the whites that uh, claim that they care mm -hmm. that represent black people as no well. Doubt. You need those activists that are breaking the chairs, that are you know, walking around with the signs that are agitating and bringing attention to the issues. Then on the advocacy side, you also need folks who are making sure that when um, you look at how much, say, a city or county or state provided uh, uh, tax credits or small business loans, how many of them went to black entrepreneurs or black developers? If they did housing, uh, how many of those projects were developed or managed uh, by black uh, uh, individuals, right? Uh, and, and really look at the data on that because people will say, oh yeah, we have affordable housing. Uh, and that's a, that's a big hustle, right? right? Because a lot of times they can say that's affordable housing and they did 200 units, but only uh, only 10 of those units or 20 of those units may really be affordable. Right. And that affordable might be $1,900. I was about to say, who, who decides what affordable they, is? They have, they have numbers. So that affordable, you know, $1,900 compared to $35,000 and $5,000. Right. And there's 200 units. They do, and only 20 of them go to so-called low to moderate income people. Uh, and so that's a, that's a big hustle right now, right? Right. So they do these uh, tax credit programs, and they have formulas, and you know, less than uh, fifteen percent of them have to go to uh, low to moderate income people. Yeah. So so that's part of displacement. The other, so you've got to have elected officials who are being held accountable, and you got to have uh, uh, advocacy groups uh, that are doing more to address those. We can't allow all of so much of our energy to get sucked up into some of the non-economic justice issues, okay? Right. So what happens is when you talk about economic justice, which Dr. King was talking about when he mm -hmm. died, yep. that issue just does not get the attention that it deserves from our people. No doubt. We are... We are overly slanted in the social justice space. No doubt. And, and that's for a variety of reasons, but the economic justice stuff is represents, that and environmental justice stuff represents so much of why our people are suffering. Cause and effect. Yes. Cause and right? effect. And, and so 
How do you deal with that? You got to follow the money. You've got to, ladies and gentlemen, you got to follow the money and you got to demand change, right? Like I was reading an article in the Buffalo News today, um, and I don't mean to quote them, but you know, <laughs> you know, in the free press. But let me just say, I was reading this article today and I was just so disgusted. I was so disgusted. Because this is what happens with gentrification. I'm going to break down gentrification for y'all in, 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 a, in a real simplistic way. Say, for example, this article. They said in the city of Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, where we're from, they were saying, oh, all this money is going to the east side of Buffalo. $135, $165 million, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And everybody needs to be excited about it. But you have to put in the context that over the last 10 years, yeah. they put over $10 billion everywhere else. Everywhere else. So $165 million compared to $10 billion Absolutely. Is, it's a crumb. That's, that's a crumb. A crumb. You can't control. If I, if I put $10 billion in a 50-block area, right? right, And then I put $165 million in a in a 200 block area. Yep. Right? Yep. Are you going to really see the difference? Sure. Sure. And the, and the area where you put in 165, they have high rates of teenage pregnancy, high rates of people living with lead in the house, high rates of unemployment, low education rates, low food deserts, bank deserts, yep. you name it. Yep. As they say, the top of the Black people are on the top of every worst list. Yeah. Right. And you're saying 165 compared to 5 billion. Yeah. And you, is that progress? It's damn sure ain't equity. Definitely not equity. And then that, and that's not even diving into the details of what those dollars are going and to who's be associated actually, to. Yeah, who's going to get them? And who's going to get them? What type of projects they're going to go Absolutely. in? Absolutely. Et cetera. So we know, and, and so when you talk about how gentrification happens. So in DC, for example, I just I just read an article. Go to Washington Former, or you can just Google the article that I just did on uh, black home ownership on mortgage lending disparities in DC. <clears throat> what I show is that African Americans are denied mortgages at twice the rate of whites. All right. And even in Prince George's County right now, that's happening at about one and a half times. Black white black people are denied mortgage at about one and a half times rate of whites. So whites are moving into Prince George's County at a at a, at a steady break, mm. right? And so, and so how how the gentrification thing happens is, y'all think well they just moving in, they just moving in. It's that the the lenders and developers. Are all supporting the transition, supporting funding the transition. the transition, and the government is so the government. And this is what happened. I saw this happen. I was on the city council in Buffalo, and I used to be so angry about it. Because then I was the guy who was, you know, I'm too economic justice minded. See, when you're social minded, everybody like you because you just, you know, you want, you, you know, you right. concern about you make, sure police, we make, know sure you police, make sure the police, make sure the police don't beat the people up. Okay, we ain't doing that. Well, why are you worried about making sure that? You should just be happy. I'll never forget this conversation. I'll never ever forget this conversation from a counselor before Mm-mm. who's not a couple. She said, you should just be happy and your people just happy that a community center is being built and a library is being built. That's why I'm not a politician because I would have been arrested at that point. And I said, no, we want to help design 
the library. We want to work on the library. Absolutely. We want to make sure that um, we are the workers at that library, et cetera. You know, we don't just want a library in the community. We want to be a part of every process, every step of that Absolutely. process. And so what happens is, uh, folks, when we talk about gentrification, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. It's the lending disparities so Absolutely. you can buy a house. It's the lack of the grandma, the auntie, the mother, the father, when they need to get their house fixed up that they live in, they can't get they can't get a home equity loan uh, if they do own the house, mm -hmm. or if they get uh, if there's government money to fix up your house or something. And most of these cities around America, if your grandmother or somebody owns a house, it takes anywhere from one to two years for them to get grant money to fix up the house. Yeah. And then they're dragged in the housing court Absolutely. and they're pushed out of the house. Absolutely. And so, and so, so it's a system that subtly and intentionally pushes us out absolutely and then we wonder why so then you say how can a city like dc how can that happen there how can it happen in this other place well i just showed you in buffalo they put five the public figures say over 10 billion dollars invested in that community over the last 10 years yep. and they just told you the newspaper less than 200 million and that 2 billion went to the areas most served right most underserved and it's public knowledge and it's public knowledge public info so you follow people follow the money yep. right so if if so that's what pushes people out so if you if you look at the fact if you want to make a community equitable then you just say hey okay we got 100 million dollars Okay, everybody gets whatever. It's nine council districts. You divide it by nine. Okay, maybe maybe everyone will get the same amount, but they get a similar amount. Right. Right. Yep. All right. But when you have these vast disparities, that's what helps contribute to that. And if you put that with business lending, you put that with mortgage lending. Those are the two biggest things and then you add with that the government where is the government going to mark the crosswalks yep where is the government going to put new street lights in yeah where is the government going to invest on a uh, uh, water lines sewer lines infrastructure where, where all infrastructure is one of the biggest indicators where the government is going absolutely and how often in your experience or not how often how far ahead is city government, state government, et cetera, already planning this out? You know, and that's that's a great question. And that's why you can't just allow people to get elected um, and then only talk to them once in four years. Because oftentimes these plans are like 10 or 20, 30 years out. And we think everything is changing. And and um, so I, I want to give you out as two nuggets. And I hope that people... Get this. So two, two, two things that African Americans need to do, right? So transportation planning. Um, I was on a call about this a couple of weeks ago. So transportation planning. These are the people who work for your state department of transportation and your public works departments, right? These are the ones that's planning the road, the road, the high highways, roads, all that. Uh, then you have your your planners, these are the ones that's planning for the future of your neighborhood. What your neighborhood's gonna look like yep. 10, 20 years from now, yep. right? 
those two areas impact how the police is going to go. Absolutely. Because that's where the money going to flow. Absolutely. Right? And those areas lack diversity. Mm -hmm. They lack diversity. Mm -hmm. They really lack diversity. And so you've got you've to look at getting involved. We don't have a lot of black. We don't have enough black engineers. We don't have enough black. We definitely don't have enough black architects. We don't have enough blacks in the um, in the planning area that's planning for our communities, because those are the ones going to say, you know, it's interesting because from being in politics, you hear these things like, well, um, the new buzzword is market rate. Yeah. Right versus afford. When you hear affordability, what do you think of? Well, it, well I'm I'm fin ed, so I, I think of a lot of different things. <laughs> so affordability, when you think about housing, they think people of color. When you think market rate, they think of middle middle to upper income or white. Mm -hmm. And so these are the languages that are going. Mm -hmm. And then when they talk about um, putting good money after bad, mm -hmm. right? Right. Mm -hmm. So we say we put good money after bad. We don't want to put that in those low income communities of color or on the flip side. People use language like, well, we need to invest now so that we can influence, begin to uh, attract a different uh, constituent or mm -hmm. different consumer base. Starbucks so, and who so, Starbucks so, brings. So that language says we invest money now. We know we're not going to get a return because we're in this for the long haul. Absolutely. Because we want to make sure we want to create a space yep. or a place that's going to attract new investment, yep. new stakeholders. Yep. And so this is the type of language that is used to say who we who we want to invest in and who we don't want to invest in. Absolutely. Without and that happens every day in politics. And unfortunately, you have people that sit at the table. They want to go along and get along. Yep. And and knowing that it's not right, because actually that's going to displace your folks. Yep. And that's why community activists get so angry because they say, you know what? I you couldn't mark the crosswalk when black enough black people lived here. Right. Because to me, they, they have a thing called environmental design. Mm -hmm. That's saying, like, okay, all right, you you take that, you people, people don't understand, you take that crosswalk for 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 granted. Yep. But others who like bike lanes and that all people that ride bikes are white, but that's in many low income neighborhoods, that's symbolic. Absolutely. That's symbolic. Absolutely. Because the bike lane gets painted every year because they don't want anybody to hit the biker. But the young lady, right. there's people in DC that had to paint the crosswalk right. because the city would come out and pay. Right. It's also not only is it symbolic, it's also a safety. Right. Because people are paying attention to the and, and I want everybody that's every, everyone that's watching this, I want you to think about that. Because that's how you affect community change. It's like the stop sign that in your black neighborhood that can be have paint on it that only has uh has the is either missing or 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 it's got T-O-P as opposed to S-T-O-P on it. It's symbolic. But it's, the reason why I make these examples of yeah. people, because you always remember, you know, that's how you know that your neighborhood is not a priority. Mm. And that's how you got to hold your elected officials accountable. accountable. Because you know what? When you're in a diverse neighborhood, that stuff is unacceptable. Yeah, it. And, and, they, and they will get changed because they're going to call 311. Yep. Just like senior citizens will do when I was, a, when I was elected. 
they will take their time. They will call, yeah. and then and they'll be active, yeah. and then they'll come downtown yeah. and they'll speak Calls at a hearing. Yep. Yeah. And so that's how you get involved and stay involved. Dope. But I want you to issue on gentrification. Please don't forget, follow the money. Sure. The money will always lead you to what's really going down. Absolutely. I say it all the time. You can ask a company, a person, organization or something what they're doing and they can tell you one thing, but you follow where they're putting their dollars. That's right. Follow, no doubt about it. Dollars. No doubt about all it. Time. No doubt about it. All and that's, and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing I think right now. People you know, here, I was talking to a guy from Howard University the other day. Okay, H-U. And they, and they were, yeah, one of your guys. One of your guys. Uh, uh, I don't know. Every yeah. guy at H-U ain't my guy, but. <laughs> no, one <laughs> guy, just, I'm just I'm just joking, I remember just a guy from you. I uh, <laughs> can't remember his name, but I, I, I'll assume his name to you. And they had bought a building in D.C. And I was like, wow, that's good. A nice, popular black restaurant called Half Smoke. You know, D.C., check it out. Support black restaurants. No doubt. And uh, he said they bought that building. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, that's good. Yeah. And I always say, as a real estate guy, you want to fight gentrification, buy the damn land. Mm -hmm. If you don't own the land, you can't control what happens on the land. That's right. And so the government can help influence it by zoning uh, laws. Absolutely. Right. And and by taxes. Yep. They can influence it. Those are two biggest ways that they can influence it. Then they can provide all different type of incentives in terms of loans and, and grants and stuff like that. But the key is, is land ownership. When you own the land, you can control what happens on the land. Absolutely. That's why we always push for ownership, whether it's residential property or it's commercial property. You got to own that stuff. Don't sell grandma's house. You've been house. doing that a long time, right? I have. I have. Yeah. I, I believe I want to buy the entire Dewey, Tony's Ranch House, Maine and Dewey right there, buy every single one of those lots. But I'm about to put you on the hot seat now. So yes, yes. this is a great conversation. But tell me what you are doing right now to expedite change? Yeah, a couple of things right now I'm doing. So one of the big things, two big things I'm doing to expedite change. So one of the first immediate things is focus on helping African-Americans and other underserved groups access this multi-billion dollar industry called electrification. That's the electrification of vehicles in America. Uh, helping uh, folks get public and private sector contracts in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, and across the country. Uh, I say that this is this electrification of, of vehicles is going to be just like the uh, cell phone was in the late 90s. For young folks don't, who may not know this, um, from, from approximately 1995 through 2000. One, two, we went from people using cell phones all over and home phones. Yeah. And we went right to right to uh, the smart mobile phones, then the smartphones. Yeah. So first we went to mobile phones uh, and then we went to smartphones. Yeah. And now you have very few people owning both. Uh, so when cell phones really first got started, in mass, in terms of consumers using them, you had a lot of African Americans opening cell phone shops. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. First, we were owning these things. They used to have these little buttons called pagers. Yeah. Yeah, young people don't know about that. <laughs> you know, we had pagers, and then uh, then we and a lot of black people owned paging shops. Yeah. And then we went to open the cell phone shops. Yeah. 
right? And then we got priced out of that. And then um, some other groups picked up, and there's still some people, some people of color that are all of them as well. So I would say right now, the big thing is to try to help African-Americans. Uh, what we're doing is helping African-Americans and other people of color and women as well. Uh, get into growing this space. There are a lot of people of color in the space that need to be more. Less than 90% of the folks in the country own electric vehicles. Yep. Uh, the technology is still emerging. Yep. So we're doing a lot in that space to open doors for people. Nice. And so that's really important. Uh, the other thing is, that's really in the home ownership space, is really not only helping African-Americans become homeowners. I've been in real estate 11 years this year. Praise the Lord. Nice. Um, but also effective policy. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot around the country on policy for uh, home ownership. Uh, to your point that you mentioned earlier, um, those issues around uh, closing the racial wealth gap, it will only happen two ways, right? You got to own some property. Yeah. And you got to own some business. Nice. People that own property have a higher business ownership rate. Because mm. as Roland Martin would say, no home, no loan. No right? doubt. No doubt. And so, yes, some people are able to put together their credit cards and all that, you know, maybe get some angel investors. But yep. black people, by and large, we don't get venture capital money. Right. And we don't get bank loans. Yep. So we've got our house becomes the greatest way that we can get a line of credit or something like that yep. uh, to help us go into business. And so that's why I fight every day. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people, I'm counseling people. I sit on a number of housing boards. Uh, I'm dressing the housing policy stuff uh, and, and really pushing every chance I get to tell people, buy something. Yeah. I don't care if it's a vacant lot. And it doesn't have to be where you live. You could buy property in a different state. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's sites like auction.com. Yep. You know, you can you can buy land just about anywhere and um, and do that and build that equity. Absolutely. And build your network. So those are the two, two biggest things that I, I think about every day. I do a lot of other things, but, you know, I like to help people make money. Nice. Whether it's through owning a house, getting a business contract, um, you know, getting some of that capital that's out there, and being a connector too, no doubt, you know, and uh, you know, so advocacy is what I do, and connecting people to opportunities. What I those are two biggest things I, I love. No doubt. You got to do what you love. Yeah. And I, lo and I love being able to do that. My guy. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank my guy for coming on to Expediting Change. So my guest, Mr. Antoine Thompson, laid it down. And he definitely laid something down that I have been struggling to make lucid for a very long time. But he did a phenomenal job because I struggle with what comes first, the chicken or the egg, when you start talking about activism, and I'm not going to say verse, but activism and advocacy. But make sure you play this back because it's good. It's absolutely amazing and dope and necessary for us to pull up and to be in these streets and make noise. But if we make noise and we in these streets without having any advocacy that follows up for the activism, we're just running ourselves ragged. We're just getting tired and we're, our message is falling on deaf ears. So I think out of all the phenomenal points that he made, 
I want to underscore in my outtake today about activism and advocacy. You have to be in the game. A mentor of mine told me, you can't get wet watching other people swim. Mm -hmm. You heard Antoine say, you got to get in the game. You spending the money anyway, take some of that money that you're using to pay yourself first and give a donation. And once you give that donation, now you have the right, you have the opportunity, and it is on you to make sure you follow up with your local politicians. Because as you heard him say, those are the people that you touch first. And then if they're not listening to you loudly enough, then that's where that activism comes in. And once they start listening because you're pounding the pavement and you pulling up, is now when you give them your three-point agenda from that advocacy perspective. It's time for the culture to make sure that we not only advocate for ourselves, but we also have the activism that's tied to it to get what we want. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. This has been Expediting Change. Thanks for following. It's just me. As I open my mind and try to reach yours, ask myself, why is it you really want to preach more? I want to teach more.